the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. Verse 20, or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. Underline that part, the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial before you today. Because it is truly the resurrection from the dead that distinguishes Christianity from all other world religions. Have you ever stopped to think about how powerful the resurrection of Jesus Christ is? Today, you learn from Pastor Gary's message that it's the resurrection of Jesus that separates Christianity from all other world religions. No other religion testifies of a risen Savior. Pastor Gary encourages you that Jesus is alive and well, seated at the right hand of God, and He will soon come again to bring heaven here to earth. Take the time this week to thank Jesus for all that He's doing in the world. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Acts chapter 23 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. But look at verse 11. It says, The following night, the Lord, this is Jesus, stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Now, a couple of things to point out here. First of all, there are times in Scripture we see an angel appear to people and to comfort. In fact, there's going to be a a time further in the book of Acts when Paul is in a shipwreck on his way to Rome, and it talks about how an angel visited him. This is one of these rare cases when the Lord himself appeared to Paul. And I'm convinced it's because this is probably one of, if not the lowest points in Paul's life. You know, Jesus doesn't just indiscriminately show up places. These are very purposeful encounters. And for the Lord Jesus himself to visit Paul like this and to say to him, it's okay, take courage, be encouraged. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify about me in Rome. It, it indicates this is probably one of the low points in Paul's life. Even the Apostle Paul can get at a low point. Low points are common in our lives. Low points happen to good, godly people who love Jesus. They just do. And I want you to be aware of something else here, too. And this kind of confronts our 
um, taste for the instantaneous, okay? Our taste for the instantaneous in this culture is wonderful, but at the same time, it can be very detrimental because we get so used to this instant, you know, I I want something now, that sometimes it's hard for us to realize that God doesn't always work that way. And so waiting becomes sometimes painful for us because we're so used to everything now. You know, if, the, if your internet is slow, it makes you upset. I want this to get downloaded now. If you're going through the drive through at pick whatever, McDonald's, Burger King, whatever your favorite little burger joint is, and it's not fast enough, you get mad. If the microwave is taking longer than it should, you get mad because we're so used to everything being fast and instant and at the moment you tweet it out it's now around the world you know email it's there in a millisecond it's around the world and with God he doesn't quite always work like that and we have to be always very careful not to be rushing or feeling like it's got to happen now and that if it doesn't happen now it's some bad reflection on God because here's the deal Jesus says to him as you've tested about me testified about me in Jerusalem so you must also testify about me in Rome. You know how much longer it's going to be before he gets to Rome? Two years. Two years. Not two days. Not two hours. Not two minutes. Two years. Sometimes when God says stuff, stuff to us, we have to be patient and trust him. doesn't always happen immediately. doesn't always happen tomorrow. It's going to be two years before Paul gets to Rome. Now, I hate to tell you the rest of it, but when he finally gets to Rome and testifies about Jesus, then he's going to be beheaded. But that's for another day. Um, so it, it also works out in a long run for eternal purposes, but it's going to be two years before he even gets to Rome. So just kind of tuck that away. Remember, God doesn't always work by our timetable. So here's what happens. So he's still in Jerusalem for the time being. How's he going to get to Rome? The Lord doesn't even fill him in on all that because right now he's temporarily imprisoned at least. Verse 12 says, the next morning the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. They obviously are going to have to undo their oath because it's going to be two more years before he dies. But... um, Verse 15, now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. Okay, so there's this little conspiracy going on between the Jewish Sanhedrin and a few zealous Jews who hate Paul and they want to kill him. So you got 40 zealous Jews. They go to the Sanhedrin. They work on this little conspiracy. We're going to kill him. Why don't you ask the commander for more information? When he comes out, we'll kill him. All right? Well, verse 16, but when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. Okay, so there's, there's a nephew that Paul has here. By the way, this is the only mention of Paul's family in the New Testament, that he has a sister and he has a nephew. We know that much. That's the only other reference to any family of Paul's in the entire New Testament. So we don't know how, we don't know how old the nephew is, probably younger than a teenager, all right? So preteen, somewhere in there, perhaps. He overhears this, and he rushes over to the barracks where Paul is in prison, and he tells him. And then Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander. The centurion said, 
Paul, the prisoner, sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside, and asked, What is it you want to tell me? He said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them, because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They are ready now, waiting for your consent to their request. The commander dismissed the young man and cautioned him, Don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. And then verse 23, then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and another 200 spearmen. How many total? 470. All right, good. Just making sure you're awake. 470. Some are like, is this a trick? I don't really know. What's the answer? Just, just add up the math. I'm just wanting you to engage. All right, so 470 soldiers to protect Paul against 40 who are going to ambush, 40 Jews who are going to ambush him. Now, listen, note this, okay? Because again, I love the way that God sometimes does his great work in our lives very naturally. Sometimes we always look for the supernatural. Do you know that God can use natural means to minister to us, take care of us, provide for us? That's what he's doing here. Could God have sent an angel to destroy 40 people? Sure he could have. That would have been a supernatural way. But how did God choose to do it? He dispatched 470 Roman soldiers total to help protect Paul. Look for God in the natural ways, not only in the supernatural ways. Because God works in both ways. So, off they go. Verse 24. Provide mounts for Paul. This is the commander speaking. Provide mounts for Paul, horses for Paul, so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. All right, now we're introduced to a new character that we're going to see for the next couple of chapters here, at least for all of chapter 24. Um, Governor Felix. Uh, let me let me read the letter that goes to Governor Felix, and then we'll talk about him. But uh, but right now, get the cat out of your head. Just get that out of your head, Felix. Now he's in there. <laughs> Verse twenty-five. He wrote a letter as follows. Here's the letter: Claudius Lysias. That's the name of the commander sending it to His Excellency Governor Governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews, and they were about to kill him. But I came with my troops and rescued him, for I had learned that he is a Roman citizen. Now, some of this isn't exactly accurate. You know, I mean, he's, he, he had him beaten first, and then he realized he was a Roman citizen. Oh, sorry. But he's making it sound really good here. Okay, verse 28. I wanted, I wanted to know why they were accusing him, so I brought him to their Sanhedrin. I found that the accusation had to do with questions about their law, but there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed of a plot to be carried out against the man, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered his accusers to present to you their case against him. So here's what's happening. So the commander, for the sake of Paul's life, says, I got to move you. I got to move you from Jerusalem to Caesarea. Now, Caesarea is on the coast of the Mediterranean. It's a beautiful place. Those of you going with me to Israel will be there in about two months. Beautiful place at Caesarea. But it is at that time the capital or the headquarters of the Roman region uh, in, in Israel. So this is where uh, any Roman procurator or governor, NIV says the word governor. Some of your translations might say procurator. 
uh, would be stationed because this was the headquarters. Caesarea was the headquarters of this region of the Roman Empire. So uh, this Roman commander, Claudius Lysias, is wanting to protect Paul. Says, we got to get you out of Jerusalem. We're going to send you with 470 soldiers. We're going to get you to Caesarea. Caesarea is about 68 to 70 miles away, uh, north northwest. So uh, off they go, and they go with this letter to Governor Felix. Now, a little bit about Felix before we go any further so we understand who this guy is historically. His birth name was Marcus and Antonius Felix. He was the governor or procurator of Judea, the region there in Israel from 52 to 58 AD. He was originally a slave, and this is a, a, a very interesting historical point because He was the first and only person known to have gone from being a slave to a governor um, in the Roman Empire. So a very unique situation here where originally a slave uh, bought his freedom and was actually appointed to um, the governorship of the region of Judea. What we also learn historically is that Felix's brother Paulus was good friends with Emperor Claudius and it was Paulus who persuaded Claudius to make his brother Felix governor. So that's how he got appointed. It was kind of a favor uh, of uh, Felix's uh, brother um, when he appealed to Emperor Claudius. So he becomes governor. Now, because he was once a slave and now is a governor, an interesting quote given to us by Tacitus, who was a Roman historian in the first century, Tacitus said of Felix, he executes the prerogatives of a king with the spirit of a slave. And what he meant by that was that, you know, as a slave, this guy was obviously mistreated. He was uh, brutally mistreated. And so when he got some power, um, he, he acted like a guy who had been mistreated. And he, and he unfortunately took that out on a lot of people himself. It was just his way of just kind of, you know, acting out on the mistreatment that he himself received. And so he's going to end up being recalled to Rome uh, after uh, at about 58 AD, he gets recalled to Rome, and uh, then we have another guy who becomes governor. He's mentioned in uh, chapter 25. His name is Festus. So we go from Felix to Festus. But that's who this guy is. I wanted you to get that historical background as we as we read here. So so um, so here we go. Uh, verse 31. So the soldiers carrying out their orders took Paul with them during the night and brought him as far as Antipatris. That's about 42 miles from Jerusalem. So that's a long haul. And the next day, they, left the cav- they let the cavalry go on with him while they returned to the barracks. So now just the 70 horsemen, the 70 uh, soldiers on, on horses, the cavalry, went on. The others went back. Um, verse 33, and when the cavalry arrived in Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor and handed Paul over to him. So, so they go Jerusalem to Antipatris, about 42 miles. Antipatris to uh, Caesarea, about another 26 miles. All total about 68, 70 miles that they covered in two days. So that's, that's a long haul. So verse 34, the governor read the letter and asked what province he was from, learning that he was from Cilicia. He said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. And then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. Chapter 24, five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus, and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. So now you get the idea. There's this official court that's being convened here, and and so now the high priest comes to Caesarea along with Tertullus, a lawyer, and so they're all lawyered up now, and they're going to argue in front of the governor about Paul's fate. 
And so verse 2, when Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. So look at, look at what this lawyer says here. No disrespect to the lawyers in the crowd, but, but listen. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix. We acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. Oh, please. He's just buttering up Felix, all right, with a lot of flattery. And so, verse 5, we have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader, a ringleader of the Nazarene sect. Only time that the early church was called Nazarene. So for those of you with Nazarene backgrounds, there you go. That's your one verse. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. The Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. Not a lot of flattery there, just plain and simple. He says, you can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way, Christianity, which they call a sect. I believe every, everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. By the way, in the margin of your Bible right there, you might want to write John 5, 28 and 29. John 5, 28 and 29. Because Paul says that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. And Jesus even said that in John 5, 28 and 29, where he talks about how on the, on the, the day of the resurrection, the righteous will be raised to eternal life. The unrighteous will be raised to eternal punishment. So there is a resurrection, both of the righteous and the unrighteous, but to two totally different results. And then in verse 16, this is where he makes this great statement. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. But there was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But, but there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Where are his accusers? And here's another question. Where are his defenders? I feel bad for Paul in this scene. Where are the apostles of the, of the early church at this point? Where are the people that he's led to the Lord who, who might want to come and, and be a witness for him? Nobody. And it's sad. And you know this to be true. You will find out who your true friends are when you go through something difficult. You'll always have friends when things are going well with you. But you will find out who your true friends are when things are going very, very difficult for you. Where are his friends here? It's very sad. He's all by himself. Of course, he's always got the Lord. The Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. Verse 20 or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. 
underline that part, the resurrection of the dead, that I'm on trial before you today. Because it is truly the resurrection from the dead that distinguishes Christianity from all other world religions. No other world religion makes the claim that their leader rose from the dead. It's what distinguishes Christianity from all other world religions, and that that because Jesus lives, we also shall live, and the hope of the resurrection extended to all those who believe in Christ, it's what makes Christianity so different from all other world religions. Don't buy into this whole thing about all religions are the same, we worship the same God in different ways. No, we don't. We worship the true and living God, and the reason that Christianity is different and distinct from all other world religions is because the premise upon which Christianity is built is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which translates into our glorious resurrection from the dead. And Paul says, if Christ did not rise from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Because if you don't believe in the resurrection of Christ as the basis for everything else, then you're just a part of some, you know, effectless Religion, But the fact is that because Christ rose and the hope of the resurrection is for all of us who believe in Christ that there is eternal life and we shall forever be with him, this is what makes Christianity unique and distinct among all other world religions. And this is the reason that Paul is on trial here. And then Felix, verse 22, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Just kind of like under house arrest in Caesarea. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess. And by the way, historically, Drusilla was the daughter of Herod Agrippa I. That's the guy in Acts chapter 12. Remember, in Acts chapter 12, where people were worshiping him because he came down the steps wearing these, this royal um, garment and it, it glistened in the sunlight and they proclaimed him to be a god. And because Herod Agrippa did not denounce them proclaiming him as god, then God struck him dead and killed him. This is, this is Drusilla, the daughter of that guy from Acts chapter 12. So she's married here to Governor Felix. She was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul discoursed on righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. Okay, because you know you, when you get confronted with this, it can bring about a godly fear. Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. See, here's a guy whose conscience was getting quickened and he, and he didn't like it. And he was starting to get afraid because he was starting to get a guilty conscience. So instead of humbling himself and realizing the truth of the resurrection of Christ and, and forgiveness of sins and, and confronting your, your own sinful life, he's like, I don't want to hear any more of this. You'll run into some of those people, right? You'll run into some people. They don't want to hear any more of this because they, they, don't, they don't like how it confronts their, their own guilty conscience. He says, when I find it convenient, I will send for you. And at the same time, he was hoping that Paul, notice, would offer him a bribe so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. It's one of the reasons he's going to get recalled to Rome. It says, when two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. So Paul's just going to stay there in Caesarea for two years, and Felix just kind of, like a hot potato, I want to deal with this, and pass him off to the next governor. Now, Felix is banished back to Rome, 
Interestingly, history tells us that Drusilla, his wife, ends up in Pompeii. When Felix gets banished back to Rome, Drusilla goes to Pompeii, and she was killed at the explosion of Mount Vesuvius. The book of Acts is awe-inspiring as you see the Christian church take off. You see these frightened disciples who had scattered, rallied together, and then spread out beyond their borders. It takes great faith to do what these believers did, just like it takes great faith to spread the word today. How are you engaging with this series so far? Do you have any questions or concerns? If so, feel free to email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd be happy to hear your prayer requests too. Are you living in or visiting the Leesburg, Virginia area? We'd like to invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. You can find our service times and other information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and links to download our mobile app. Just look under the Teachings tab. Once again, that website is cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for tuning in and hearing some things from the book of Acts that we hope inspire you. We look forward to you joining us again here on Cornerstone Connection. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.